Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. You know, yesterday was the feast of Saint, well, Saint Mother Teresa, right? Do you do say that? I like to say that because I think we, we're still in that age of knowing him, knowing her as Mother Teresa. So Saint Mother Teresa, it's kind of like Saint Padre Pio, right? Versus Saint Pio. <laughs> I've got a couple stories about Saint Mother Teresa. I've got a couple stories about the paradox of living our life of faith. And I'm going to draw from the Office of Readings to help with that. And then, well, I've got some more things to share about self-knowledge. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I love you. I thank you for the gift of today. Lord, I repent for my littleness. I repent for the ways that I quickly settle for less in how I know you and love you and serve you. Help me, Lord, not to give in to the ways of the flesh. Help me strive to live in accord with your Holy Spirit. Lord, Give me the grace to love you better today than I did yesterday. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paradox. You know what a paradox is? Paradox is when you have two things that seem to be opposed, even contradictory, that must both be upheld at the same time. And if you don't uphold them at the same time, and, and allow the tension of those two things to exist that, in fact, you won't understand either one of them completely or, or clearly or, or even really, frankly, very well. That when you attempt to isolate the one from the other, it diminishes the insight you have into the other. So a paradox Paradox is, is hard for folks who are very systematic in their thinking to, um, to enjoy, to benefit from, because there's always an attempt to like locate where one begins and the other one ends. So it's, it's like, do you understand your journey towards God from the standpoint of creation or the new creation, the fact that you were created by God in his image and likeness, or that you were recreated through baptism. And so therefore, you're not merely living with your own human nature and a human nature in a fallen condition. But you, you also have to understand yourself from the standpoint that you have the very life of God within you. You have 
been elevated to a share in divine life. You, you participate in the divine nature, even now, while you're living here on earth. And as a child of God, you have grace operative in your life. And so these two things, these two things live, these two things, these two realities are part of your human experience. And you can't just containerize one versus the other. Right? So you have principles in our life of faith that say grace builds on nature. Grace builds on nature, right? The life of, of God within us is somehow traced back to, connected to, and, uh, and finds its roots in our own created human nature. But it surpasses it. It elevates it. It transforms it. It purifies it without destroying it. And trying to understand how this impacts our life, it, it's very practical, you know, there are a lot of very practical implications to that. And so things that would make you naturally happy don't make you supernaturally happy. <laughs> things that make you naturally fulfilled don't make you supernaturally fulfilled. Things that make you naturally fulfilled are, oh, I'm going to do something that I find enjoyable. Well, when you start following Christ, you realize you're called to pick up a cross and die to yourself and go through death to resurrection. And all of a sudden, there's a higher kind of joy, a deeper kind of joy, a new kind of joy that's available to you that only comes when you surrender your natural joy. Oh, okay. That's the difference between following the commandments in accord with our human nature and living the Beatitudes in accordance with our own call to share in God's own life. Right, the Beatitudes, happiness. Beatitudes don't make you think of natural happiness. Well, in fact, the Catechism tells us it's because they give us a share in God's own happiness. They give us a share in God's own happiness. All of that's a precursor to what I bumped into when I read the Office of Readings yesterday morning. I have found that the Office of Readings has become my very favorite set of hours in the liturgy of the hours. You know, you're probably most familiar with lauds and vespers or morning prayer and evening prayer. Maybe you're familiar with night prayer. Office of readings is like traditionally read very, very, what maybe you call it late at night or very early in the morning, like four in the morning in um, cloistered convents or the very, very first thing they do when they get up before they have morning mass is they'll pray the office of readings. And it's something I've shared before. I think the reason why I'm so drawn to the Office of Readings is that it draws out the spirit of holy desperation, praiseworthy desperation, where we are desperate before God because we're experiencing a position of powerlessness. We're experiencing a position of complete incapacity before the reality, the situation, the, the, the condition that we are in or that we are facing. And that's part and parcel of our life of faith. But it's not one that is easily um, talked about. It's not often taught about. It's not often explored or promoted or advanced. It's often avoided. It's often, frankly, just misunderstood and left on the sidelines. And yet so many people experience it. So the antiphon for the first psalm in morning prayer on Tuesday 
of week two um, is, it was Psalm 37, and the antiphon, the, the, the line that you pray preceding the psalm is, or says, surrender to God and he will do everything for you. Surrender to God and he will do everything for you. Now, when you hear that, what do you think? Like, what jumps out at you? Surrender to God, and he will do everything for you. Well, for those who are very active, for those who are, who are get-it-done kind of people, for those who are confident in their own abilities, their own capabilities, their own experience and mature development of skills and, and other assets that they can bring to bear, the idea of getting stuff done isn't first of all, second of all, or third of all, like put in God's hands. It's like, well, no, God made me capable of doing stuff. I'm going to get stuff done. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. God did give us capabilities. God gave us human reason. He gave us our uh, skills and education and capabilities and talents, and he asks us to use them and develop them and deploy them as good stewards. So what is this? Surrender to God and he'll do everything for you. What is that all about? Well, that's another moment in the life of a disciple. That's another experience that will come upon the lives of disciples. Is that moment of feeling overwhelmed or powerless or you know, so stressed out that we're a little bit traumatized before the things that we're facing. And despite all of our best efforts, despite of all our planning, despite all of our deployment of our own skills and, and thinking and, and working and acting, we're not seeing forward movement. We're not seeing forward progress. We're not seeing a breakthrough happen. You ever have that happen? Is there any part of your life where that is speaking a truth. It could be, I'm not getting through to my husband. It could be, I'm not getting through to my boss. It could be, I'm not getting through the health condition that I'm facing right now in my life. It could be, I keep falling back into this sin and I feel stuck, ashamed, embarrassed, and hide. And so, despite the fact, oh, wait a minute, not despite the fact, alongside the fact that there are areas in my life where I sense the gifting of God, experience natural capabilities formed and utilized to, a, to positive effect, right alongside that, at the same time, there is the experience, the situation where I just feel powerless bit out of control, a bit overwhelmed, a bit, again, traumatized into a frozen position because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this. Surrender to God and he'll do everything for you. That's a very hard thing for a guy to hear. It, it can feel like 
well, I'm just giving up. Well, no, 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 not giving up like I'm just going to be passive or I'll just sit back and float. No, you're doing something very active. You're doing something very, very active. And the active thing you're doing is not giving up, you're giving over. You're not giving up, you're giving over. The, the, the traditional spiritual term in our spiritual life is called resignation. Not resignation like a chess master resigns a game, says, you know, I'm done, I quit, I lose. But resignation as in, I give over, I put into your hands, I surrender. I surrender to you, God. And that experience, when it comes to our lives, it's actually quite powerful. It's actually tremendously important for all of us, but I think especially for guys. I think it's very important for us to live into the experience of feeling powerless before God, before the world, before the things that we're facing. And learning to take that action of surrender. And honestly, it's, it's received the grace of surrender. This is, this is so important, brothers and sisters. And when I read it this morning, it just was, or yesterday morning, it was just reaffirmed. Surrender to God, and He will do everything for you. You see, it's only through surrendering to God that you're going to experience the power of God entering into circumstances, situations, relationships, realities that you are confronted with and 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 experience this incapacity, this inability, this complete and utter uh, powerlessness that, that God enters, that God's power is brought to bear. You see God move. Maybe, in fact, we're not seeing God move in our lives because, well, you know, we're just trying to figure it out on our own. We're too reliant on ourselves. We're too, we're so reliant on ourselves in our giftings and our assets and our experience and our capabilities and our relationships and, our, and the things we can bring to bear that we don't even think about the gift that God is offering us. Like, let go, surrender, give up. Give over. Let me in. Give me a chance. And so, one of the gifts that God will give to us is facing a crisis, facing a calamity, facing a disaster, facing a tragedy, facing a trial, facing a tribulation, facing something that we can't ignore, we can't avoid. There's no getting around, getting away from it. You just have to be in front of it, be present to it, be in the midst of it, and acknowledge, God, I got nothing. I need you. I'm desperate for you. It's not that all is lost. It's that I'm lost without you. And so, Lord, I, I turn to you, and, and, and I, say, I beg you, please, step in, take over, 
You got this. Please move. Move with power because I'm powerless. I surrender to you and I please, I ask you, do everything for me. Please do what I can't. Do what I can't figure out, what I can't get over, what I can't get by. See, there's the paradox. Oh, by the way, the paradox is not only just involving that one moment of recognizing we're gifted and we are strengths given by God and the moment of powerlessness, there's another moment as well that makes this paradox even stress and strain even more powerfully. What is it? I'll tell you in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. When do you feel overwhelmed? Well, oh, sorry, there's a third moment. All right, so there's the, the moment where you're gifted and you're using those gifts and you're seeing them being uh, having, a, having a good impact, right? I'm capable. I, I've, got, I've got a fundamental confidence in, in myself and my spouse and in, in what he's given to us and in the realities that are in front of us. And, and, I, and I use those things wisely and well, hopefully. I try to be a good steward of them and have a good impact into the world. Um, but then the gift will come in the form of a trial, tribulation, difficulty, cross, a suffering, a brokenness that we can't overcome, we can't avoid, we can't get around, and, and we are driven to our knees. Driven to our knees. And I'll tell you what, that is it's an amazing gift. That's a gift. You think it's a gift to, to recognize that you are gifted by God and you're using those to big effect? There's even a bigger gift. The gift of being confronted with your incapacity. That is a that's a that's a more important gift. That did you hear what I said? That's a more important gift. What? That sounds strange. What would it be a more important gift to be confronted with our powerlessness unavoidably and be in a crisis where we fall to our knees and we have to cry out to God and we don't see immediate relief and we say, surrender to God and he'll do everything for you. I don't see him moving. I don't see him moving. I'm surrendering to God and he doesn't seem to be doing anything for me yet. What is going on? And he leaves us in that place of powerlessness. He leaves us in that place where there are no quick answers, no easy answers, no immediate resolutions, no miracle lightning strike from the sky where there's a huge conversion, but the holy desperation, the praiseworthy desperation, what does it do? It keeps us close to God. It keeps us not relying on ourselves. It keeps us recognizing that all those gifts that we've been given, all the uh, positive impact that we see in the world, that we see uh, you know, in measurable ways that, that seem to be advancing us and make us feel really proud of, of the things that we've done, that, 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 that experience, as important as good as it is, is less important than the next experience of feeling completely, utterly overwhelmed and desperately in need of a savior. Yes, a savior. Save me, Lord, I'm drowning. 
Save me, Lord, my family is drowning. Save me, Lord, my spouse is drowning and I don't know how to save him or her. Save me, Lord, we don't know how to deal with our kid. Lord, please, I beg you, help me with my finances. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. Lord, spiritually, I just feel overwhelmed by my own addictions and sinful addictions that are just destroying my sense of inner peace and are having negative effects on my family, right? These experiences, these are a gift. These are a gift. Why? It makes you realize you can't rely on yourself. It makes you realize you're not, oh, God. You're not Lord. You're not Lord over all the things that are happening in your world. And so that need for praiseworthy desperation, surrender to God and he'll do everything for you, that is so important. Because when we get to the point where we actually do have to surrender to God, like it just, the situation just really just drives us to our knees. It, am I getting an amen out there? If you haven't had this experience yet, this will be a hard one to hear. I pray that you do. I pray that you do. But I, I pray that it comes gently, but it, that it comes. Like when people say, oh, pray for my son's conversion, I say, do I have permission to pray that the Lord will bring him to a place where he is utterly desperate before God? That God will knock out of his hands any human support so that he realizes that he is in desperate need of the Lord. Are you okay if I pray like that? And honestly, there's often just a big pause. Like, ah, maybe Tom, focus on other people. <laughs> Don't pray for my son yet. I'm just hoping for the gentle conversion back to the loving Jesus that he'll, the smiling, laughing Jesus will be enough to draw him back out of the pit instead of the unveiling before his eyes of the desperation of the pit he's in and the experience of the, the demonic pursuit that would want to take him into utter darkness and the horrors of hell. I, 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 Tom, please, please pick on someone else with your prayers. Because <laughs> um, it's hard, right? It's hard. But but there is a fruit, right? What's the what's the what is the fruit of surrendering to God? He'll do everything for you. That's the third moment. You hear me talk about this as the dynamic of discipleship, these three moments that you're all his gift, that I'm utterly desperate and powerless, and that God's power comes. Surrender to God and surrender to God and surrender to God and he will do everything for you. You'll experience an empowerment from God, his presence and his power at work to bring about things that you could not have foreseen, imagined. He does it. He did it. Holy cow, where did that come from? That came from God. That's the third moment. Like if you think of it, it's creation. And then it's redemption, that's the cross. And then it's sanctification, that's the coming of the Spirit to empower us, to anoint us with a new power and a new gifting to fulfill a God-given mission and to become a saint. You see, we, we want to get to that part. I think we do. Right? In our better moments, 
We don't want to just live a life that is focused on the things of this world, using our natural gifts and maybe drawing, a, drawing in, in a way upon the, the God's gracious mercy and, and, and blessings, where all of a sudden we are actually using some of the supernatural giftings and graces that God's given to us to bring about natural goals, you know, worldly ends, instead of godly purposes. That's the whole idea of stewardship. The idea of stewardship is that God's given graces to you, but they're not only for you. God has given blessings, gifts to you, even mercies to you that have preserved you from certain trials and difficulties so that you can be set apart for God and his purposes. I remember that was one of the things that dawned on me when I was in the seminary. Right, You remember, five years in the seminary, never ordained, but in the seminary, one of the things that happens is Seminarians live a life that's very held in reserve. <clears throat> it's a very merciful life. It's a very blessed life. There are many burdens that people face day to day, young adults, you know, that they, in their 20s, that they face every day, like paying the rent and uh, making their lunch and, you know, taking care of their daily schedule. Seminarians don't worry about that. Their, their day, their, so much of their lives have been set apart so that they could focus on growing as men, as godly men, and as men who are preparing to be celibate priests. That's the whole point, is that you're set apart, not because you're special, not because uh, you are, um, <clears throat> you've deserved it or you've earned it, you're set apart because of the stewardship that you're going to be living with your whole life. So we need to set you apart and surround you with gifts and graces to protect you and provide for you and lead you so that you will be a holy priest of God, fulfilling a God-given mission after the manner of Jesus Christ. And I felt that so deeply. It's like, wow, why am I getting all of this, like, all these benefits? I, I better get holy. I better dive in. I don't want to be a bad steward. Right? This isn't about me. So when you face this reality of the need to surrender to God, that becomes the doorway to experiencing God's power. That becomes the portal through which God's personal presence and his power comes to be at work. And you begin to see miracles, supernatural interventions of God that will make you stand back in awe and wonder. And honestly, I am pretty convinced after 34 years in ministry that so many of us uh, don't know how to live with the paradox. The paradox that says you have to be available you have to be movable to have the Lord move you into different situations, different, different ones of these three different like, aspects of being a disciple. There will be times in your day or there will be seasons in your life where you're called upon to use your God-given gifts. All is gift. Your life is a gift. God has given you many gifts. Put them at his service. Be a gift to others. Right? 
and, and do so with confidence, do so with generosity, do so by applying your skill, fulfill the duties of your situation in life, live that life. That's a beautiful thing. But there are going to be times where the Lord is going to say, okay, now just kind of buckle up a bit. I'm going to shift you a bit downstream. We're going to move you away from this like dimension of creation and gifting from God. We're going to shift a little bit downstream to the cross. We're going to shift downstream to the aspect of your life where you're going to be asked to die to self, pour out yourself sacrificially, to to give of yourself with patience, with long-suffering, even to the point of experiencing utter incapacity and powerlessness. Are you available for that? Are you ready for that? Are you open to that if that's what the Lord has for you today or for this season of your life? And and, and if you're going to enter into that season of your life, are, are you going to be open to the reality that the Lord the Lord has you here for a reason? You might not even know the reason, but he's got you here for a reason. Surrender to God. He'll do everything for you. And at some point, he will. He'll lift you up and out of that to the the season of the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the season of sanctification and of anointing with God's power. And all of a sudden you'll begin to see that God has appointed and anointed you to go forth on mission. And now you're praying with people. Now you are sharing faith with others. Now you are living a meaningful life that isn't just involving worldly goals, but you just long to have the kingdom of God breaking in and breaking through your life into every conversation every interaction, that what you want to do with your life is to move in God's power. And when that season comes and that situation happens, you rejoice and you praise God for it. And if the Lord leads you into that situation, amen, let's go. So you can see those three moments, right? You got it. You're called, you're powerless, and you're empowered. So which of these is the Christian life? Yes, Which of these should you be ready for on a daily basis? Yes. Which of these might be the stage that the Lord asks you to live in the midst of for a really, really long time? Yes. That's a paradox. It's not a systematic approach to discipleship. It's a mysterious relational approach to discipleship where the Lord says, I do have a call for you. And if you're open to it, I'm going to bless you through it. Let's go back to the Office of Readings from Tuesday morning. It was yesterday. The first Psalm, Psalm 37, had this antiphon, which I've I've read, surrender to God, and he'll do everything for you. Well, then, after the antiphon and before the first stanza or strophe of the Psalm, there is a scripture. There is a little, like, inspirational scripture. It says Psalm 37 the lot of the wicked and the good. And then it says a scripture. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. That's one of the Beatitudes, right? The second Beatitude, is it? Second or third? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, why is that important? Why is that a big deal? Like, is it random that that's chosen? Not at all. Very intentional. Blessed are the, what's the key word here? Meek. 
out of the meek. So meekness in the Middle Ages was a way of identifying the gift of docility. The meek person wasn't the passive, you can walk all over me, sort of milk toast, wimpy spirit. That's not meek. The, the meek person is not that. That's not what Jesus is saying. This was actually considered a very noble virtue, a like in the crown of virtues. This was a shining jewel, gem, meekness. Because meekness was receptivity. It was openness to be moved and led by the Holy Spirit. When you're open to be led, when you're open to be moved, when you're movable, do you know what's going to happen? When you have this docility, you, you're going to gain something, right? What's the rest of the, what's the rest of the, the beatitude? They shall inherit the earth. And, and you think about that, and it turns on its head the natural understanding of having ownership of the earth. Like, who owns the earth? Who gets the earth? Well, the most powerful one. The one with the biggest army. The one who can conquer it. You know, blessed are the powerful. They will conquer the earth. Blessed are those with the most armies and the most military might and strategy. They will gain the whole earth. That is not the supernatural dimension. The supernatural dimension says the earth isn't conquered. The earth is inherited because it's owned by your father. More in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So just before the break here, I was talking about meekness. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And you say, wait a minute. This turns on its head the natural human understanding of who gains ownership control over the earth. Well, it's not the one who conquers. It's not the one who figures out a way to gain power, but rather the one who's led by the Lord. The one who is docile and available to be moved by the Holy Spirit. That one, that one's going to gain everything. Not as some kind of accomplishment, but as an inheritance. Because my dad owns everything. My good and loving father has everything. Do not fear, little flock. It has pleased the Father to give you everything. To give you everything. Have you experienced that? Have you known that? Have you encountered that? The way is through meekness. Meekness, docility. Radical receptivity, radical openness to be led by the Holy Spirit. St. John Paul II talks about this in his encyclical on missionary activity. Mission of the Redeemer, Redemptoris Missio. He has an entire chapter on missionary spirituality. And he says that the first quality 
of missionary spirituality. The first trait, characteristic of a missionary spirituality is, well, is what? I don't know, passion for mission? Is it um, the gift of preaching? Is it uh, a desire for people to be saved? No, it's complete docility to the Holy Spirit. The, the first requirement of a missionary spirituality, the first requirement is that you be radically available to be led by the Holy Spirit. And honestly, let's, now, let's like tie these themes together. Who's willing to be led? At the end of the day, who is really, really, really willing to be led? Is it the one who is like wonderfully confident in the capacities that he or she has? Sees the fruits, sees the results, it's working, my personality, my connections, my assets and resources that I bring to bear, the professionals that I gather around me, look at this, can measure the impact, oh yeah baby, let's go. Is it going to be easy for me to be led by the Holy Spirit? At a very, very easy to ascertain level, the answer is no. No, the, the standard is no, because, well, we've been able to rely on our own thinking and our own abilities and capabilities and, and all those other things that we bring to the table as our own gifts. Why do we need to rely on the Holy Spirit? God's given me all these gifts. I'll just rely on those things. And it works until it doesn't. It works until it doesn't. And I've said to you that when it doesn't, that can be a gift. Very hard to receive, very hard to integrate, very hard to reconcile with that first stage where things are working. And so then the powerless stage opens us to, guess what? Docility. We become more receptive. We become more available to be led when life stops working. When life isn't working, when things are going bad and getting worse, and despite all my efforts, I'm getting frustrated because I can't gain control, I can't wrestle the thing to the ground, things are getting worse, and it's getting harder, and it's more overwhelming, and it's just leaving me on my knees. That's when we become more humble. That's when we become more available. Less clinging to our own thinking. Our thinking stopped working. Our approaches were dead ends. And now is when the Lord is saying, finally, I can get in. Let me, let me lead you. Follow me. Trust. There's the key. Trust me. I, I'll do everything for you. I'll do what you can't do. I'll do way more than you ever asked or imagined. I have doors in front of you that you can't even see that I'm going to open before you. I have connections that you don't even realize that are going to be brought into your life because of me, not because of you, not because you figured it out and you were so clever. But watch what I can do. Watch what I can do when you give me some room. That's, that's the call we have. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit 
the earth. Are you willing to allow the Lord to bless you beyond what you can plan for, figure out, make happen, accomplish all by yourself? And how many times do I have to bring up the way in which St. Paul very powerfully, very beautifully lived this? You think of St. Paul as this amazing evangelist, apostle to the Gentiles, right? Pictured with a, a scripture and a sword, right? And, the, and, the, and these are connected, Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. St. Paul preaching courageously in all of these cities throughout uh, the Roman Empire and being persecuted and pursued, being uh, stoned and beaten and, and imprisoned and miraculously supernaturally escapes and making these missionary journeys and a supremely strong, courageous, bold proclaimer of the gospel. But little do we realize these other dimensions of his ministry. Towards the end of the Acts of the Apostles, he goes in front of the Roman uh, governor in uh, the um, province of, um, of Jerusalem, uh, Caesarea, and he comes before him after being in prison, and, and the new governor comes in. He's like, well, hey, give me your, your, what you think about this guy. And Paul comes in, and he says, I want to go see, I want to go to Rome. I appeal to the, to the emperor, to Caesar. And he says, well, he's appealed to Caesar. Let's send him off to Caesar. And then it just says in this one little line, two years passed. Two years passed? What's going on? Yeah, one line in the Acts of the Apostles. Two years passed. He was in prison for two years. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever read what he says in the first chapter of Philippians? He talks about being in chains, but there's no chaining the Word of God. And what does he say? Who cares if I'm in chains? As long as the Word of God is not chained. If other people, if they've been emboldened by my chains to be freed from their shackles to be able to go preach the gospel, well, what of it? Praise be to God. What's important is that the gospel is proclaimed, not that I proclaim the gospel. Are you open to that? Are you ready for that? Are you willing to be led to that? Is that in your, on your radar screen at all? St. Paul was available. He was available to be led into situations where he was going to be shipwrecked, where he was persecuted, again, stoned, beaten. And in the midst of all this, what else is happening? He's fasting. He's fasting. He's working hard, sleepless nights, and not only undergoing all these beatings, but what else is he experiencing? Thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12. Do you think about that? This thorn in the flesh that leaves him doing what? Begging. Desperate. More in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. While I was just talking about St. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's begging the Lord. 
begging the Lord that the thorn in the flesh would leave him. And what does the Lord say? He says, no. Thorn stays. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in powerlessness. You open to that? Are you docile enough to be led into your own personal thorn in the flesh? You want God's power to be at work in your life? You want God's power to be perfected in your life? You want to see more of God's miraculous supernatural power moving through your life into your home, your family, your marriage, your kids' lives, the wider circle of friends, your work, and that you can have an impact in this world? Are you open enough to be led into a thorn in the flesh so that God's power in your life can be perfected in powerlessness? Now, you do realize I'm looking in the mirror as I say this, right? You do realize I'm not just talking at you. I'm talking with you. Because this is really what I believe is what holds back the church, us, from making a bigger difference in the world. Is we're just frankly way too comfortable being comfortable. We are way too at ease being soft. And as a result of that, we just are, are not very movable into the personal calamity. We're not that movable into the thorn in the flesh. And really, are we that movable into, like, courageous missionary activity? Like, think about it, really. Are we? Are we willing to be led into places where we would be publicly um, accused falsely? That's a beatitude. That's a beatitude. Are we in a place where we would be rejoicing because we were given the opportunity to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus, like the apostles, Peter and John, they rejoiced in Acts chapter 4 that they were found worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. Are you willing to be led into the, like, the union with the, the, the sacred heart of Jesus who has a passionate heart to save souls who died to save souls, are you willing to be led into that heart so that some of that heart lives in you? And all of a sudden, you have a burning concern, not for getting the weekend off so you can watch football games, not getting the weekend off so you can enjoy doing what you want to do, but that all of a sudden, God's priorities are your priority. Like, Are we willing to be led to that? Are we willing to be open to be moved into that? Big question. It's an important question. I think of yesterday's feast, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. You look at her life, and you just, what? Everyone just stands back in awe and wonder, even non-Catholics. She's the sort of go-to, even still, the go-to for 
a Christian who lived an exemplary life, just poured her life out for the poorest of the poor, not just the poor, but the poorest of the poor. And she lived in the similar conditions of the ones that she was taking care of. Very hard to critique Mother Teresa. But then when you get on the inside of her life, you get on the inside of her experience of union with Christ, you come to find out that the solidarity that she was led into, the Holy Spirit moved her into, was more than an external solidarity where she lived among the dying and, you know, slept in very poor, incredibly simple circumstances, living extreme poverty, an extremely simple life that lacked so many creature comforts. Mother Teresa, right? But that her solidarity went to an interior solidarity. She was led into darkness, the the dark night of faith, where she was asked to trust, have confidence, and delight in the Lord. In the midst of interior darkness. I mean, really, how many of us could do that? How many of us are open to be led into that? Uh, really? The answer is not, not many. And if we did, well, we would want to be able to be freed from that darkness pretty quickly, right? Probably... You know, Lord, I'll be there for a day, a couple of days. Lord, Lord, I don't want it to go on for too, too long. I mean, come on now. What can you expect? Lord, aren't you noticing that I'm like pouring my life out day to day here? Could I get a little bit of comfort? Could I just get a little bit of relief? Like spiritually, could I just receive some, some rich experience of consolation? Because you're noticing everything I'm doing here for you? No, the Lord's message to her was, come be my light. And she experienced the paradox that she was going to be the brightest and most radiant light by being brought into the deepest darkness. Are you tracking with me? That she was experiencing a darkness on behalf of those whom she was ministering to who were living in darkness. That's a mysterious thing. Just hear that again out loud. It was like the Lord was saying to her, do you trust me, mother? Do you trust me enough to allow me to bring you into the world's no and there in the midst of the darkness of the world's rejection of me? I want you to say yes to me. I want you to commit an act of trust. And I want you to say yes from the midst of the world's no. I'm going to ask you to be love in the midst of the experience of of being loveless and unlovable. And in doing that, she experienced what? Solidarity. She was manifesting a sense of interior solidarity with the people that she would meet on the street, the rejected, the outcast, the dying. 
So when the outcast and the dying would encounter her and they looked her in the eyes, they didn't see someone who was condescending and saying, I, who am coming from a place of fullness, I'm going to help you who are living in a place of emptiness. I, who am light and bringing light to you who are in the dark. No, they experienced when they looked into her eyes, she gets me. She understands my darkness. I experience a sense of connection, communion, and communication with her because somehow in the mystery of this encounter I'm having with her, I, who am lost and in the dark, am sensing a sense of communion with someone who is with me in the lostness and the darkness. But she, in the midst of this, is bringing me light, bringing me out of darkness into light. How long did she experience this? 50 years. Not five days, not five hours, not five months, not five years. 50 years. She only had like one or two brief periods in the midst of those 50 years where she did not experience that type of darkness. Do you hear that? How shocking is that? How like overwhelming is that? And, and that only came out afterwards. Like, you know, her spiritual director knew of this. I think maybe a bishop did, but that's about it. And it was only after she died that the period, that the level of her dark night that she lived throughout her ministry when she was for, for the whole world, like a source of light, is paradoxical. There's the paradox again. So my brothers and sisters, today was a program of paradox, all because of one antiphon. Surrender to God and he'll do everything for you. And it just got me reflecting on the paradox of our life of faith, where it's all a gift and we're called by God to experience his love. But then we receive the gift of powerlessness where we're desperate for him. And then he comes and fills us with his power. And we have to be movable, available to be led by the spirit into any one of these situations and all of these situations for any amount of time in accord with his good purpose for our lives. I hope that's something you're blessed by.